Welcome to the Sailing Into Oblivion podcast. I'm your host, Jerome Rand. Good morning, 2021. First day, first podcast of this year. I'm coming to you from the boat. Back down here after spending some time up in Michigan, and it feels good. It feels real good, especially the air temperature outside, because it's no longer below freezing. Now it's... Well, I think this morning it's probably high 50s, low 60s, but not bad. Foggy. Normally it's not foggy down here in South Carolina. Mmm. I've got my coffee. It's delicious. It's decaf. Switch to that. <laughs> Found that the, uh, I don't know if I was mixing my coffee super strong, but for whatever reason over the last <clears throat> few weeks, Wow. It would make me jittery, all that caffeine, straight away in the morning. So, I like the taste of it. I like the ritual of coffee. So, I'm going to keep drinking it, but I only have one cup a day. So, it's not, I don't think it's like a bad thing, but I just like the taste. So, I switched. Went to the old decaf. I guess I'm showing my age. Mmm. But, what we're going to... I think the the plan is going to be to do the next series of podcasts. Well, first, I wanted to do a bunch of more interviews when I got down here with some other sailors, but most of the sailors have left. I think we're finally hitting the actual winter in South Carolina, so a lot of the people that were here right before I left have now moved further south down to Florida or the Bahamas. So it's it's going to be a quiet, quiet little little couple of months down here until I can sail back up to Maine. But that's all right. I don't mind. I've, I've got some projects I'm going to be working on. And, you know, a few with the boat, a few with the new book, a few with uh, the podcast, and then also some some video stuff. I keep getting sort of these little requests about trying to string some of these videos together to actually make something, I don't know, substantial, I guess. Maybe just longer for the few people that are really interested in hearing me talk. But, I, you know, when I go through some of those videos uh, of, of the big sailing trip, especially the ones that I shot on my iPhone, those are, were all sort of the confession ones, if so to speak. And those, those were, it, when I first watched any of them, I, I would turn them off pretty quickly because I, you know, there's no reason. And, and I didn't think the content was very good. But again, I didn't, I didn't watch all of them. And after, after watching some, after, you know, three years or whatever have gone by, there might be some, there might be a little story to be told with that. As you go down the line, and most of these clips are only two to ten minutes long, but it's just me talking about what's going on and, and everything, and you can see how they're a little different and they're changing, and sometimes I'm upset, sometimes I'm sad, sometimes I'm super happy, 
I don't know. It's kind of funny. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to delve into that. I've got I've got January, February, March, April, and May, and then I sail north to Maine. So that's a few months, and hopefully by that time I'll I'll have some something produced. <laughs> I just gotta split my time up. So the the first thing though, mm, ooh, that's hot. First things first. I figured it would be best to just get this uh this podcast out of the way and so again what i what i want to try and do is a series about the appalachian trail and i've got my old journal got the appalachian trail guide all that sort of stuff got all the old pictures and i think yeah i think what i'm going to do is just go state by state and this this first one we're just going to really talk about one, what what is the Appalachian Trail? And and sort of just go from there. So the Appalachian Trail runs from Springer Mountain in North Georgia through 13 states, 14 states, up to Maine. Mount Katahdin, Maine. Big old crazy looking standalone sort of mountain uh, about halfway up in Maine. And it's about 2,000. When I hiked it, I want to say it was the big board at the end, I think, said 2,168 miles, something like that. So it's a long way, and it traverses the Appalachian mountain chain. And when I say traverses, it doesn't run some crazy ridge line where you get up on top of it and just keep going. It's basically you go up a hill, you go down a hill. You go up a mountain, you go down a mountain. And it seems like they intentionally made that trail <laughs> very difficult as far as, oh, well, let's just go up this mountain too over here and then let's turn left and go up this mountain over here. So it's it's a brutal, brutal trail. But that's, you know, also what makes doing it pretty great. I, I can remember thinking all these, you know, all these nights I spent listening to A Walk in the Woods by Bill Bryson. And this went on literally for years where I would just fall asleep to it. But I had read the book, <clears throat> which initially sparked my my interest in actually doing it. The first time I ever was on the AT was back when I was maybe like 20 years old. We did a camping trip. A bunch of friends and I went down. And we were only on the AT, I think, for one night uh, down in the Smoky Mountains. And we got down there, <clears throat> excuse me, and it was, it was crazy. So the first night we, you know, normally when we camp, we are, we're all setting up our own tents and all that sort of stuff. The first night we stayed in a shelter. And it's the first AT shelter I've ever seen. Had a, an old rickety fence on it because they used to have chain link fence in front of these three-sided shelters. And just to keep the bears out because people fed them so much. So anyway, we go in, we see this like really kind of creepy old open cabin, I guess. And there's six of us. And then late in the day, two guys came in, both with beards. I think we called them Redbeard and and Mousy or something like that. I can't remember. I can't remember if that was their names that they told us. There wasn't a huge amount of communication. I think they saw us as the plague because... We were loud and having a good time and all this sort of stuff, which 
<clears throat> we'll sort of get into a little little later because that was something that I did find on the trail was a lot of people were kind of miserable and I was pretty stoked to be on that trail and and enjoying that time but well we'll get into more specifics when I start breaking down state by state but so we see these guys and they tell us you know they're they're on the Appalachian Trail and they're hiking up to Maine and it just I it didn't compute in my head what they were actually doing and you know to to meet them in the Smokies that means they had probably been on the trail for I don't know, just a couple of weeks, if if that. Um, the Smokies come up pretty quick. I think there's 75 miles in Georgia, and then you get into North Carolina, and then all of a sudden, boom, you're in the Smokies. So they they were just starting the trail, essentially. <clears throat> but there's something that just stuck in my head about it. So that was my first experience seeing or being on the AT, and then we shortly thereafter took a side trail, Jenkins Ridge Trail, and we're off in little La La Land for, for the next week or so. And it was a great camping trip. But I never sort of forgot that. That was just one of those sort of weird, weird instances. <clears throat> so it was years and years later, maybe in my mid to late 20s, when I read Bill Bryson's A Walk in the Woods. And, oh my gosh, that, that book... It just, for whatever reason, it just seemed like, wow, that sounds like a fun, fun experience. And, you know, most people would disagree. They would say, boy, that sounds absolutely miserable. You know, these two guys, they go, they try and hike the Appalachian Trail. No spoilers here. But, you know, it's their adventures and misadventures doing the the AT back in the 90s. I think they did it in 93 or 95. The trail was a lot different back then. Way, way less people on it. At least on for through hiking. So after after reading it and everything, then I think I was down in the Caribbean <clears throat> in 2007 and I had I had it on tape, and I just, you know, I used to live above a pub, and it was always pretty loud, and I was working pretty early every day, so anything and everything I could do to help me sleep through the noise of the late night carousing, and <laughs> who knows what's going on, and, and all that stuff, and shutting the pub down and everything, so I would listen to this thing, it'd be right next to my head, and i basically just got addicted to that the sound of the voice and everything and and the story so i listened to it long story short i listened to this this story a walk in the woods by bill bryson maybe a million times no joke and <clears throat> and it was it just each time i listened to it i thought more and more like this just sounds great everything from the hiking to the camping to the hotel stays in these little towns, you know, these grimy little motels, and then meeting all these these people and eating all this food, and you know, he he never painted a great picture of a lot of that, especially the food. He hated the food, but I don't think back then they didn't really have the food selection that we have now, as far as camping stuff, you know. But regardless, so that 
I think it was in about 2010 when I was getting not burnt out by any means, but I was I was definitely wearing thin at work, which was down in the Caribbean. It's the best job I've ever had in my life, but it also took a huge amount of my life to do it. And so in 2000, I decided in 2012, I was going to take a break, go up, and I was going to hike the Appalachian Trail. And I think part of why I wanted to do it, because to make that sort of commitment, typically, you know, I had to quit my job. Your whole normal life sort of has to go on hold. Everything is on either pause or on hold, or you just scrap it and you're going to figure it out later because you if it takes you four months which would be a fast hike <clears throat> if it takes you four months to hike the trail you're still going to need a couple of weeks before the trail to sort of get everything ready and sorted out plus all the the work it takes just to get to that point and then after the trail i suppose you could walk right back into uh into a job or regular life but you're not going to want to, that's, that's for sure. You're going to want to be able to let that whole experience soak in for a little while. Cause eventually you're going to go from mountain man back to, or mountain woman back to normal life, but you don't want to miss out on that transition. And I don't know, for me, it was great to sort of ease back in sort of slowly. I know I went back to work pretty quickly, but I I don't know. It's kind of a strange thing. I, I, I had a good amount of time. I must have had at least a couple of weeks of very relaxed, easing back into life. So I guess the why, though, that's that's what I'm trying to, to answer. So so I listened to the tape. I, you know, I had these influences that were sort of making it seem, at least in my head, this would be a uh, a really great experience. <clears throat> now, I also really enjoy camping. I've I've loved camping ever since the first time I went when I was eighteen, and I I was a miserable camper as far as being prepared. You know, one year I didn't have a sleeping pad, one year I didn't have a jacket, one year I didn't even have a long sleeve shirt, and I wore this these pair of socks over my arms. I looked like a bag lady. That's what my friends called me. So I learned a lot, you know, basically by screwing it all up. But I loved being out there in the woods. I loved being completely disconnected from anything normal having to do with, you know, jobs, normal life, bills, any of that sort of stuff. And it was just this freedom the minute you got on that canoe or got on that trail and were walking away and deeper and deeper into the woods man it just felt it felt amazing like just you could feel the weight being lifted off your shoulders and and I'm not even somebody who has a huge amount of weight on my shoulders but regardless you shuck all that because the only thing you have around you when you have your own little supply of food and you've got your ability to make some water and you've got your little shelter and all this sort of stuff and you can carry it in your canoe or you can carry it on your back, there's this sense of uh, 
simplification, I guess, of life. I mean, you know, normal everyday life is just, it's like, wham, 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 wham. There's just so much information flying around, people trying to sell you things, you trying to make money, keep relationships going, all this sort of stuff, you know, balancing this this complicated life. When you get out, or when I get out in the woods, it's, ooh, everything slows way down. And it's a time to be spent taking in the world around me, which when you're going hiking and camping, it's going to be Mother Nature and just trees and hills and rocks and and little animals. And it's nice, you know, it would be kind of cool, I think, to see mastodons and woolly mammoths and stuff like that. But at the same time, we live in a pretty unique time where you can go as a lone human being out into the woods for weeks and months and really you know besides bears but even bears pretty much just run away it's it's an amazing time to not have to carry a weapon I mean I had a little Swiss army knife with me but it was little and I I, no I no thoughts that uh, I was there were some scary nights don't get me wrong and scary days too but I never felt really threatened or anything. And I, I guess that's, that should be noted on my trip. Because, <clears throat> I, you know, there, there's been some incidences on the trail and sort of stuff like that. But on my trip, I think I only ever felt uncomfortable from either human or animal or nature. I'd say a handful of times, maybe a dozen and that rarely ever had to do with an uh, actual person. I, I think I only ever felt uncomfortable once. And it was more annoyed than anything. So after listening to this, this thing and just getting this and, and, and then finally pulling the trigger, I think a lot of people, especially my work and stuff, they weren't, uh, they were just sort of like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Because I, I think I let people know like a year before. <clears throat> Can't be 100% certain on that one, though. (laughs) Memory does fade a little bit. But my game plan, because I'm one of those guys, got to have the old old game plan always, was to work uh, into 2012 and have February to train and get everything ready. I, I had most of the gear already, but I still needed a few bits and bobs here and there. Uh, use February to to get ready and, and hike and sort of get my body in some sort of shape. But mostly I wanted to go over all the maps and, and go through the, the books and, and watch as many of the documentaries about it as I could. Basically just gain as much knowledge as I could. And then fly down to Atlanta on March 1st, stay a night in a hiker hostel. I think I might have stayed two nights. And then I believe I started on March 3rd, 2012. So that was the game plan. And 2012 comes around. I'm down there in the the Caribbean working. And then get through into January. End up leaving there, flying back to Michigan. Because I had had sort of one of my big concerns was when you start in March on the trail down south. Up in the high mountains, high altitude, you it gets cold, it gets snowy, it's windy, it's there's no real protection because none of the trees have leaves. So 
I needed to sort of acclimatize back to cold weather. And I had been living in the Caribbean for nearly five years. So I really needed to spend some time outdoors up north. So I went and luckily my parents let me stay with them. I was only going to be there for about a month, maybe maybe five weeks. And so I got up there and I was able to purchase the last of the gear, set up my food drops, which I only did a couple and study the maps, get as much information as I possibly could. And then also what I, what I did for training, the only thing I did, I, do, I guess I did two things. <clears throat> I went and would strap my backpack on with, like every day I'd basically repack my backpack, try and get it sorted in a way that I liked. It weighed about 30, 35 pounds. And then I'd hop on a treadmill, steepest incline, doing three miles an hour. And I'd just do that for an hour or so. And that was every day, like without fail. Always did that. The other thing I was doing was going snowboarding pretty much every night for four hours or something. And <clears throat> that helped me for sure with the with the cold, just constantly being cold, cold every, every sort of night. And that, those two things definitely helped. The trail, it, it beats you up and beats you down so fast. I, you know, I think the only way to train for the AT is to do the Pacific Crest Trail first, <laughs> to be honest. Um, it's just, it's such a beast that you think you, you think you go on little day hikes or you hop on a treadmill for even a few hours a day and you'll be, you'll be ready now. I, it's. You hit that trail, and the first day you do 10, 15 miles, your body is like, what? And then you do it again and again and again, <clears throat> and it's up these crazy hills. And Georgia is a tough state. Man, your body just, it, it feels it. It feels it. I mean, to be honest, my legs and everything, my knees and all that, really didn't hit their stride until probably five weeks into the trip. So it took a good month, quarter of the trip, to even get to a point where there wasn't really pain anymore. And there was still pain, but it just wasn't it wasn't like throbbing sort of knee pain and stuff. There was never any any real pain to where I didn't think I could go on. I had to take a couple of days off, but uh, once the leg muscles sort of got strong enough, then all of a sudden everything was okay. Mm. But... <clears throat> So I fly down, I get all the gear finally packed. I, I have five, five, not, I should say they're not really food drops because on the AT, you can, you could send all your food. You basically send it to these certain post office places and, and they will hold on to it until you get there. Or you have somebody at home send them sort of on a schedule. And that's one way to do it. It's definitely far less expensive to do that. I sort of went the route of I had five different ones that had a little bit of different gear. They had different sections of the maps. And I don't know. I guess some of them had some food and stuff. Not much, though. Because I basically did all my resupplies on the trail in the little towns. Sometimes I had to do it at a gas station. <clears throat> I definitely remember one time resupplying at a gas station for the next like four days and that was pretty bad that's that's where 
Ugh. I mean, you think it would be really great to eat like a ton of candy bars and stuff. It's not. It gets old pretty quick. And they don't make you feel all that great. I mean, I ate a lot of candy bars, but you also need sort of some of that sustenance. But regardless, had all that stuff set up, had the the gear. And again, I had some of the gear already, things like a stove and sleeping bag, sleeping pad, all this sort of stuff. And this was my, what I call initial gear, because usually unless you have done a long distance hike before, then you're going to go into the AT with your set of gear. And then within probably the first month, you're going to switch out most of it. (laughs) Maybe not the backpack and maybe not the tent or something like that, but you know, you're going to switch a lot of the stuff out. I started mine, like I said, it weighed about 35 pounds with water. And it was not long before I slimmed that sucker down. At least took another five, almost 10 pounds off of it. Um, But went down and I had allotted, I want to say it was around five, $5,000 to be able to do the trail. Uh, And I don't think that's including the airfare. I was just flying from Michigan down to Atlanta, and then I think I took a bus, either a bus or there was an actual, we'll have to look in the journal when we actually get into it, but basically got to this hiker hostel, it's a nice place, guy's house, big, big house with sort of, I don't know how many rooms and extra common, it was, it was nice though, all wood, the, the couple that owned it were great, and there were probably about 10, 15 hikers other hikers that were there and I'll tell you it was it was so strange because I'm I went from hmm, being in a job where I was basically an activities director a sailing director to being in this this hostel surrounded by these hikers nervous not sure what to say to people. <laughs> it was the strangest thing. I'll never forget it. I, there's this this sort of shyness, and it hits a lot of AT hikers where they're. I think it's because you're taking on this adventure, and there's a huge, gigantic question mark in your head of you know, did I make the right choice? Am I a freaking fool? And you get, I, I remember being self-conscious sort of about, about my backpack, about my choice of clothing. And, you know, I don't know, I, I didn't have a ton of experience hiking, but I'd spent two weeks out in the woods in the rain and the cold and I did just fine. I don't know. It, it's sort of strange. It's almost, it's almost like you go in, you meet your first few other through hikers and you're just thinking, wow, this guy must you must have all the experience. <laughs> and it's, it's, ah, oh, man, it's crazy. So that was, it, it just, it was weird, you know, and it kind of puts you on edge. And I, I spent two nights at that place and it was cool though. You know, I got to know some of these other guys and, and girls that were, that were coming in and everybody sort of slowly warming up to each other a little bit, but not, not that much. It was, I don't know. I don't want to, I guess the best, the best term I could use is maybe everybody was sort of on edge so everybody's a little edgy and and you know there it's not everybody there's there's a few boisterous fellows yeah <laughs> who are out there and, and really outgoing and all that sort of stuff but 
you know, we did a nice little town run. Luckily, I had, I basically was all set. I didn't really need any extra stuff just because I, I had, in all the testing, I had purchased all this food and I put that in my in my pack and everything. So I was set. And the the first little section is is only a few days before you get to your first place where you can sort of resupply. So it's not it's not this huge, you know, ten day endeavor to enter the woods. It's you know, you're gonna be in there for three, four days and then you're gonna you're gonna be at a store and be able to buy things. So I was all set. We went in, we did town runs, and we had little bonfires at night. The, like they said, the hostel, I, I'm sure it's still there. I, I know they were trying to sell it at the time, but it was it was great because it had, you know, a thing to weigh your backpack. It had a little trail you could walk around on so you could test how things are and see if anything's rubbing the wrong way and, and all that. And So we're there for, for two nights, and the second night, there's a freaking huge thunderstorms and there ended up being tornadoes and we had to go it's like two in the morning everybody gets up and has to go out into the basement and sort of hang out down there for like an hour and I'm just thinking to myself holy cow I wasn't barely sleeping anyway because the next day we're basically hitting the trail and we go and <laughs> we're all huddled down there and then finally I think somebody was like man you know whatever this is dumb I'm I'm going back to my bunk I gotta get some sleep because I, I think we were gonna hit the trail at like seven in the morning after a huge breakfast and so uh, March 3rd comes around and hop in the old hop in the old van and you can go it's kind of interesting there's there's the Amicalola Falls Uh, approach trail which is like eight miles pretty much all uphill and that brings you to Springer Mountain or you can just go up to the side trail which I think is about a a mile long trail which brings you right up it's not very difficult you get to this little spot that has a little hiker plaque of the official start of the Appalachian Trail and the first little white blaze which is just a white painted stripe and and there you go. You're off and running after that. And it's it's kind of funny because it's a it's an out and back trail. So you you actually where they dropped us off at, you you hike up to Springer Mountain, and then you hike right back down the same trail and continue on the other way, <laughs> which is kind of weird. It doesn't sound like it works, but <clears throat> it works. Yeah, and that and that was it. So that's where that was it to to start with and. I don't know. I mean, as far as the gear and and things that I I brought, I I like I said, I had read enough books and I had I'd watched the documentaries and all that sort of stuff. And and they do have at that time. I and I'm I can only assume they still have it now. Hmm. Was that they had a a forum online for AT through hikers and they what what a lot of hikers will do is they'll put you in what's like I was class of 2012 on the Appalachian Trail and so you know everybody's in there sharing all this information and this is all going on for months and some people do this for years before they actually go and so you're asking questions it was it was a little helpful I I don't think I only asked a few questions about different gear and things like that. I, there was the level of engagement wasn't anywhere near what 
social media is today, like Instagram and all that sort of stuff. But again, this is 2012, so that stuff was still way... I don't even know if Instagram was a thing back then. But regardless, got some good information from them and all that sort of stuff on the different gear and everything and, and what people were thinking and how to... Biggest concerns. And, you know, when I think about that time, I think my biggest concern always was the weight of how heavy my pack was and because I already had quite a bit of gear I there was just a I don't know I didn't I didn't want to buy a new backpack that was a half a pound lighter that cost $400 and all this other sort of stuff so I I sort of stuck with it and I figured 30 35 pounds was okay I would slim that down pretty quickly but the essentials that that I had were as follows I had it um so I have a backpack which has a sleeping bag in it I had a little foam sleeping pad to start with and I say that because it got switched out uh I had a little tiny titanium little stove that just burnt um Oh, denatured alcohol in it, super light, weighed like an ounce. The only problem is it it took, if I wanted to boil water for certain dishes like mac and cheese and stuff, I would have to boil the water, then refill this thing, which was a little complicated. It didn't do well in the wind. Um, I had a water pump, like a water filter, and I had a nice one, uh, a catadine one that, that was heavy, but it was also heavy duty and you could, I don't know. It was it was definitely a good one. What I'll what I'll probably end up doing as we go through this podcast is I'll probably try and do some way to sort of look at some of the gear if I can find any of the old pictures of of the gear layouts and stuff. I think I still have them. But anyway, uh, water filter and I have a little tiny tent, like a little mummy tent sort of a, a little coffin not much bigger than just me and some people went with a, a bivy sack which is basically a, a tent that goes right around your sleeping bag like an external sleeping bag and so I had this little tiny tent it only weighed like a pound or two so it was super light and then I also had a tarp because in the beginning you know it's it's um it's cold enough that there aren't any bugs and if I didn't have to sleep in the tent I didn't I would just set the little tarp up, and that thing was super-duper light, crazy lightweight. Uh, and then uh, a pot, one pot, one little mug, one spork, all of which were titanium. And, uh, yeah, that was pretty much it. I, you know, my I had the Swiss Army knife. I had my journal, which I would recommend. That, that journal was tiny and it didn't weigh a lot but just to cut ounces I probably should have just taken you know 10 sheets of paper and a pen and just transferred that information onto the journal once once I was stronger and could carry more I mean it's it's one of those things where really trying to lighten every single thing you possibly can if you can cut an entire pound or two off of your pack 
it's so worth it. It's it's amazing how it just changes everything. There's just not that pull. I had an old school uh, burner cell phone that I got at Walmart or something. Uh, and I had a headlamp and then I have my food bag. I had a rope to be able to hang my food, which very few people did that on the AT, but I always like doing it. It's kind of a challenge. Got to throw that thing up in the tree, find the right tree, all that sort of stuff. Um, and, and that was pretty much it. Uh, I did have some things that went by the wayside real quick. I had a Frisbee that was gone within the first, first like week. Um, I had my boots and I had a pair of sandals and the sandals were gone. <laughs> I left these all in hiker boxes, uh, a hiker boxes, essentially in all these, these hiker hotels and hiker hostels along the way, especially in the beginning, they all have hiker boxes. And that's basically where you can, if you don't want something, you can put it in there, food, anything. Because people, you know, they're, they're receiving these food drop packages and opening them up and being like, oh, my God, I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> this is way too much. There's no way I'm carrying it, so the dump half of it in there. And re in reality, if you wanted to, if you weren't picky about what you were eating and stuff, I, I'm assuming it's still the same way, but you can you can hit each of those and when – you know, if you stay in a hostel, there's going to be a hiker box. Check that thing out first before you go out and buy anything because it's just going to go to waste if nobody takes it. But uh, there, I guess there is some sort of etiquette with that. And there's there's a lot of strange little etiquettes. Uh, I shouldn't say strange because a lot of them make sense. But it's kind of an etiquette on the, on the trail that, you know, you don't just hop around and collect all you can from hiker boxes and <laughs> things like that. Although you could, and, and I know some people do. I mean, I, you know, I definitely took my fair share, but it's a faux pas if you're, if you just wander into a hostel and hit up the, uh, hiker box and then just leave. I don't even say thank you, but so I had all that. Uh, obviously I had a toothbrush. Um, I, I, I had sort of a mini, mini dob kit. So everything was tiny, but I had a toothbrush, I had a tiny little thing of scope, uh, a little thing of dental floss, because I figured, you know, I'll be out on the trail, it's, it's worth it to, to actually do full-on uh, mouth cleaning every single day, rather than sort of just shuck it for, for a few months. I mean, obviously, everybody's going to brush their teeth, but I don't know, I, I figured why... It's only a look, a few ounces. So, you know, I, I would sort of shave an ounce here, but gain an ounce here sort of thing. And But other than that, I didn't really have much. Um, everything else sort of went by the wayside. You know, normally I'd have like a crazy creek and all that sort of stuff. And those would eventually come back and, and join me later on in the trail, but not until much later. In the beginning, it's it's really all about just being super crazy light so that you're taking it easy on your body so as you build that muscle up and it takes all the strain from your legs and your knees and your hips then you can start adding weight because after five weeks I was a monster I could just uh, 25 miles in a day no problem it became less of a physical challenge believe it or not and more of a mental challenge from, say, like the halfway point on. 
And that's because your, your body adapts and it adapts pretty, pretty rapidly to the abuse that you're putting it through. And I don't know, it, it, it was really sort of interesting to watch that happen. And in the beginning, I was so full of doubt because my knees were aching and there was like not, not a sharp pain, but like a dull pain. Pretty much every time I stepped for a long time, if I started overdoing it, and it's sort of strange feeling of if I did a big step up with one leg, it sort of felt like the knee was going to just give out. (laughs) And these are, you know, these are sort of the things that are going through your head in the beginning because you're hiking and you're hiking for an hour and then two hours. And then all of a sudden some new little sharp little pain happens like in your hip. And you're sort of like, oh, what's that? Not enough to make you stop hiking immediately, but definitely makes you start wondering like, oh, what's that? Is it going to get worse? Is this going to end my trip? And I think some of that edginess that I was talking about before, I think some of that does come from this this sort of self-doubt. And I suppose I suppose you get that in any endeavor um, when you're when you're sort of taking on some sort of crazy challenge where it's not going to bring you any prosperity. You're not making any money doing it. You're just doing it for the experience. And <laughs> if for whatever reason, you, two days into it, something happens where you have to stop and you're sort of left there going, oh, geez, we spent all that money. And, and I now, after this last trip uh, <laughs> around the Atlantic, I know exactly what that's like. Holy cow. It's very frustrating. It's very hard to deal with mentally especially if it's out of your control. So obviously, yeah, everybody's everybody's a little worried. But you you sort of weigh it and I I was I was pretty cautious. My my thoughts on on heading out were to try and do between 12 and maybe 16 miles a day and take it easy. And just sort of ease into it. And it's not exactly what happened. We'll get into it in the, the episodes. But, you know, you sort of have this game plan. And you do try and stick to it. When I would get a little more pain, if I could, I would I would stay in a town for what is called a zero day. So that means you, you haven't made any miles. Typically, you, you hike in, say, five, ten miles. You get into a town. You spend one night there resupply re-civilize and then you're on your merry way but a zero day would be you get in there and then you stay two nights so that you have one complete day off and i i spent a lot of my first zero days because i only had a few over the whole trip but i spent those with basically bags of ice on my knees because i was worried that you know it was going to be crippling or not crippling but it was going to it was going to stop the trip and I, you know, I, that was something I worried about for weeks until suddenly one day it just completely disappeared. <laughs> so yeah, that, that was, that was sort of the, the preparation and I'm trying to think if there was any other stuff that I really did, I guess, you know, I just used the through hikers trail guide. I don't even know what's out there now. I don't know if AWOL does one. There's, there's probably like three or four different Appalachian trail guides. AWOLS was pretty cool because it had the elevation guide sort of interlaced with the actual information about what you would see. So these guides, the AT is really a a very easy trail to navigate. It's tough to hike, but it's easy to navigate. So 
you've got this little guide that is sort of just you follow along with it and you know it'll tell you when you're crossing a road what that road is where it leads to how close the town is or a gas station when the next water source should be i say should just because they're not obviously 100 percent accurate these are springs they deal with rainfall and i did i mean geez there especially in the beginning there were so many little streams and stuff there was never any chance of not not being able to get water that comes later in the trail but it also depends on the year but you're following along on this and you know i had obviously i had these huge maps and I think there were like 50 maps or 48 maps or something like that. And I ended up just cutting off the bottom three inches of each map because that was the terrain guide. So that it showed you the elevations that you were going to have over the next somewhat or the next whatever miles. And I found that more useful than actually having uh, a map until one day. But that was up in Maine and or maybe that was New Hampshire. Who knows? It's a great story. We'll, we'll get into that towards the end. But so I had the terrain guide and then I had my guidebook. And all along the trail, there's these white blazes. Sometimes they're every couple of 20 feet and sometimes they are a uh, half mile in between them. And you're just the whole time wondering if you're still on the trail or not. And then all of a sudden you'll see one. But it's really clear. It's pretty easy to navigate. I'd say probably the majority of time people sort of somehow get off trail is really just due to the fact that you're looking down at the ground in front of you pretty much the whole time you're hiking because there's roots and rocks and all sorts of stuff, rattlesnakes, whatever, uh, that you can step on. And if you aren't paying attention to where you're placing your feet, you're going to, you just start tripping over things and eventually you're going to fall <laughs> head over feet and, uh, <laughs> and hurt yourself. I mean, I don't know. I must have fallen a hundred times, probably more, who knows. But, and it was one of those things too, you'd stub your toe and, and almost fall and just be so mad. <laughs> so you're watching the ground and if the trail splits or whatever, you don't know what's happening and, and all of a sudden you're off the trail, but you know, you're, you're, you're checking it out and all that sort of stuff. It's, it's kind of a weird feeling you get when you sort of realize all of a sudden that you're not, you haven't seen a white blaze in a while and you might be going the wrong way. <laughs> and sometimes you get in the zone so hard that you don't even, oh man, you don't even, you're like, wow, how long has this been going on? And you start questioning because you're just inside of your head the whole time. I, I think that's, <laughs> that's uh, it's kind of the amazing, amazing part. But basically the normal the normal daily routine on the trail that that I entered into, you know, is you wake up pretty much with the sun or pretty darn close and cuz all of a sudden the woods start, you know, birds and things start making noise. You get up, you you make some sort of breakfast. <coughs> Excuse me. I started getting into like pop tarts and things like that, oatmeal, whatever. Um pack your stuff up and you hit the trail and you're going to hike for probably four hours or so. You might take one or two little breaks to eat a little something because you're always freaking starving. You're going to have a big old lunch and you're going to hike for another six hours or so and you're going to find some place to camp. You know, they're, they're the shelters. 
There's shelters every 10 to 15 to 20 miles on this trail. I, after staying in just a few of them, I never stayed in any again. I slept way better in my tent than I ever would next to a stinking, snoring, and I only say that because I was one of them, AT trail hiker. And to be sandwiched in between a whole bunch of them in some little place, the only thing that makes it even worse is the fact that there's mice running around and trying to sleep with a mice with mice running around your head is literally for me it's impossible so even if i was staying close to a shelter just to sort of be social i would still set up my tent so that i could you know at least back away and get a good night's sleep and that that for me became one of the biggest uh, necessities while I was out there was just to make sure that I set up camp in a good spot where I could sleep really well so I could recharge the batteries for the next day because it just made the day better. Um, yeah, I guess there isn't a whole lot else. Well, I well, I guess on that on that note though, but yeah, I would you know after after you find your spot, you know, you set everything back up. I was a little bit of an oddball in that, you know, I liked having fires and, and sort of relaxing after my day of hiking. You know, they, uh, there were a lot of people that, that they just, they hit camp, they eat something and they crash out immediately. And I don't know if it was just my own excitement that gave me sort of the extra energy or, the amount of exercise that I was doing was giving me the amount of energy, but I would get into camp and I, I would want to sort of have a couple hours. And so, like I said, I would set up my camp and then I would go ahead and build a little fire. I'd cook my dinner. I'd look at the maps. I had what I called tent time where basically end of the night I go in and I would look at what I did that day. I'd write in my journal and then I'd look at what was coming up for the next day, next few days, you know, try and plot and plan where I was going to be, how far I was going to try and go. And I don't know, it was just cool. I, I absolutely loved it. And I would typically be in bed by, I don't know, 11 o'clock at night, something like that, sleep for seven, eight hours, and then do it all over again. And you have to, I think when, when I used to listen to Bill Bryson stuff, I would... I would imagine that without actually imagining what the weather was probably, how, how volatile the weather can be up there. So I would imagine, oh, dude, just going out camping, freaking star-filled nights and all sorts of, and you get tons of those. But you also get a ton where it's just pouring down rain and the water's leaking into your tent. You're sort of all soaked. It's uncomfortable. It's cold. But it, it's still... That's part of the adventure. That's what makes it great. So I, I don't know. I, like I said, I, I, I think one of the biggest wishes that I have right now, I wish I could do the AT for the first time again. I feel like if I did it a second time, it would not be as good. And it, it would maybe even take away from my first trip somehow. I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's right, but it is, it's, I have considered trying to do it from north to south as a bit of a change up, but again, I don't know, sort of knowing what you're getting into. I feel like if I if I wanted to do and I do, I'd love to do another long distance trail. I'd like to do the Pacific Crest Trail, but I have to wait until all this the lockdowns and all that sort of stuff finish up 
because I'm pretty sure they closed off a huge chunk of it in 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 uh, California. So, and I doubt they're going to open it this this year. But I could be wrong on that. I haven't really researched it because I'm not. That's the one thing I, I'm sort of not in the the right mode to be able to do any of the big trails, at least not this year, not in 2021, but who knows, uh, things can change and, and all that sort of stuff. But I, I, before I, before I get too old or, and I shouldn't even say that cause there's, I've, I know there's been people in their seventies that hike the AT, but before I get to a point where I can't do it, I would love to do either the continental divide trail, the Pacific crest trail, or, who knows? Maybe if I'm really old, maybe go back and do the AT again. But it is uh, its just a fabulous, super fun adventure. You meet all these great people. This is me going to try and sell you the AT. <clears throat> For anybody that hasn't gone on one of these big adventure sort of things. And I, and I think the word big is, is really the, the clincher. It was for me, for sure. The fact that you have to you have totally sideline your life for months and months and go off and and do this thing try and and chase after this goal and and do this hike there's something about that it, it's a mindset that you don't get anywhere else i where you're you're doing this for the actual act of doing it you want that journey you want that experience you want the adventure and it's it's not about reaching Malkatadin. That's just the goal that that you know to to complete the journey. But it's all about what you get to do and what you get to experience the the crazy beautiful nights, the scary thunderstorms, the the people you meet, the towns along the way. I mean, I I remember getting back and one of my cousins he was saying, oh, what was he saying? Yeah, he said, my cousin walked across america <laughs> it is i mean you do from georgia up to maine you see so many different things and, and people and you have all these great experiences so if you're ever wondering like oh man i i would really like to do it go for it absolutely go for it and i you know hopefully hopefully over the next bunch of episodes where we go what i'm, what I'm planning to do is go state by state and just get into what it was like to go through that state and so it'll be it should be 14 episodes so it's all right it's starts in georgia goes to south north carolina georgia north carolina tennessee virginia then you go into west virginia maryland pennsylvania new jersey new york connecticut Massachusetts, Vermont, New Hampshire, and Maine. So yeah, it's 14 states, 2,100, well, 2,200 miles basically. And you're going to go through at least spring, summer, and maybe even into fall, depending on how long uh, you end up doing it. So it, it just, I don't know, it's its wonderful. It was one of, and, and it probably always will be now that I'm, I'm in my 40s, but it it will always be one of the greatest summers and springs that I have ever had. Just a feeling of absolute freedom from the everyday sort of rat race and norm. I mean, it just felt great to wake up every day and know that 
all you have on your plate is to walk in this beautiful landscape over these ridges. Yeah, it's really hard, but your body gets tough. You get to take it in. You're going to have lunch on a rock overlook and, you know, watch deer walk by, maybe see a baby bear, um, not a baby, see a bear or something. Who knows? I, I don't know. It's it's such an experience and I highly recommend it to anybody who is sort of on the fence and wondering if they should or shouldn't sort of thing. There's no better time than the present. It's amazing. It changed my life. I, I think the last thing, what I'd like to say is it changed my life completely. The trajectory of what I ended up doing for the next five years, because I basically came off of this trail with a whole new outlook of that. that is what I want. I want to experience everything about this this life and and just i i like setting these tough goals and sort of just going after them and so yeah for the next five years i was working to save money to get the boat to do the trip around the world so and i'm still doing these things it's crazy i don't know but i guess that's all for for this podcast so um i'll just keep lettering them or numbering them so this will be i think number 14 or 15 but uh I'll I'll do a little parentheses one or whatever. It says AT episode one. So this will be episode one on the AT on the Sailing Into Oblivion podcast. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening. And uh, hopefully we'll be pumping these out every, uh, not every day, but pretty close. I'm going to try and get through this series pretty quick. And hopefully uh, be able to do some interviews. There are just one or two characters around. They're not around quite as often, but... I've got one guy who who is on his first boat, and he had a pretty wild time on his first uh, first little trip to get down here, and then he's been fixing his boat up. And then another buddy of mine who's just he's owned boats for like ten years or something. I don't know, but boy, he's got a lot of stories. <laughs> I think on that podcast, I'm just gonna basically ask him, you know, how he's doing, and then he's gonna talk the whole rest of the time, but. It's pretty incredible stuff. Always makes me laugh. So that's all coming down the pipeline. And uh, thanks for listening. Have a great 2021.